So last week, last week we set the stage by laying the foundation for the story of Job and going into the very beginning that the, the uh, all the different theologians like to call the prologue of Job, the very beginning stages of his journey through this narrative. And I want to remind us very quickly of what we covered, just to remind us of that foundation, because today we are going to look at that, but also build upon it as Job's first friend of the three that were joining him in his suffering are, is going to respond to Job's first lament. And then Job is going to counter back. And we begin by looking at that relationship to begin to understand parameters for our own lament in times of suffering. Okay? So, if you remember in our story, and for those, of course, who, who were not here last week, Job is a man completely blameless and upright. He is a man who is, it's even said in the first chapter of Job, is the greatest man in the entire East. Okay? He's a man blessed of God because he is a man of so wonderful faith in God. Such obedience to God in his life. And God had blessed. So he exists in that somewhat sort of paradise that we talked about. So many earthly blessings, but also spiritual blessings. So Satan, our accuser, comes before God with the accusation, accusing both God and Job. And he goes to God and he says, the only reason Job is so faithful and obedient, such a man of great faith, is because you, God, have given him showers of blessings upon his life. You take away all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. And so God allows Satan. He says, do whatever you want with anything that Job has, but you must not touch his person. That's the first permission God gives. Now, we talked about a subject matter last week. And I asked the question, does it seem strange to you? Almost unfair that God would allow this to happen. Job's perfect in righteousness, so to speak, according to God. Perfectly faithful. But I'm going to allow Satan to have his way some in Job's life. And when we answered that question, our answer was no, that probably doesn't seem very fair to us, which brought up the first reality that we will forever have to be aware of, not only in our own lives, but also when we look at the story of Job. And that reality is this, we cannot come close to fathoming and knowing the mind of God as to how He works all things to redeem and save all things. We think we know... We think we know what's righteous and not righteous, what's just and what's not just, what's merciful and not merciful. But as humans, we do not know. And Job certainly doesn't know. Now, if I remember correctly, that brought up a question when we talked about that. And I think, Will, isn't that, isn't that the point where you brought up the idea, of, does this relate at all in the Lord's Prayer of deliver us not to temptation. What were your thoughts on that? Share that. I wanted you to because you had some good thoughts on that after we talked afterwards. Oh, I can do it from right here. Hey. Uh, it is that our prayer, our Lord's prayer to lead us not in temptation but deliver us from evil was that uh, stealing Satan's argument, was that a, a direct appeal to God that we would not fall under the kind of temptation that Satan is is testing God and man with in that situation, yeah. and uh, and it goes with that idea that 
that Satan was given this unique opportunity, well, for him an opportunity, to take a man, Job, to the edge of his endurance and his suffering, yeah. uh, to decimate him. And, and is that part of our corrective measure to keep that from happening to us? And I just looked at a couple of things. Tempting and, te and testing are the same word that depending yeah, on who the who it is that is doing it. Yeah. And uh, and the other thing that struck that I felt like lends to that argument that it is, our prayer is countering that kind of power of Satan, was that the old ending of the Lord's of that section of the Lord's prayer, uh, after lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Exactly. And we tend to and it is and I look at it, it also is a personal and you go, you go even further. Let's always remember what St. Peter ta uh, taught us. Be sober, be vigilant, because your roaring lion is wandering about seeking whom he may devour. We are still... We, this is not a question of victory. This is not a question of authority. But Satan still wanders. Satan can still impact oppress, so to speak, things in our life. And you're right in your thinking very much so that that prayer in the Lord's Prayer is exactly a prayer against these very things. It was a good thought to bring in at that moment. I'm glad you shared that. Thank you very much. Yeah, Marilyn? Okay, in the book that we're using in the Women's Bible Study, mm -hmm. it actually addresses this, but it uses the word testing. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, lead us not into temptation. That's really what the devil's doing. You, try. you know, that's that's not a good translation, but yeah. to use testing there and have go. it relate back to Job, yeah. you know, that meaning, uh, that's a much better translation. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Very good. Thank you very much. And so we have God making an allowance for Satan, and we know what Satan does. He takes away most of his property, all in one fell swoop almost, we find out. But we give this description in the first chapter very, very quickly of what Satan does. But he also, Job loses to death. Many, almost all of his servants, save at least one, and all ten of his children are killed as a wind would blow over the house on them, all of them. And Job has lost all of this in one fell swoop. Okay? But then we find the most unbelievable response of Job. Job's response is he shaves his head, he tears his clothes, which is the proper mourning posture for anyone following God at that time. But then what he did next is what shocked us the most. And he worshipped God. And he worshipped God. Through tears, through pain, having lost everything. Remember that great statement he said, The Lord gave all of those things. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Regardless of his pain, even in the most immense... Don't play around with Job's pain. This is incredible pain. Lose one child. Take a look at it. Lose all ten. Okay? He, both he and his wife. And yet pushing through the tears, he knew that despite what happened in life, God had not changed. God was still worthy. So Satan goes back to God. And he, go, he puts on the accuser posture again, which he is. And he says, God, yeah, but you touch his flesh. And he's going to curse you to your face. And, Job's, and God said to Satan, you may have your way, but you must spare his life. 
And so we find Job filled with sores from top of his head to the bottom of his head. And he is in sackcloth and sitting in ashes in extreme pain with a potsar that's a sharp piece of pottery scraping his own skin off from all that has gone on with him in absolute agony. And here's where his three friends show up on the scene. They come and they see him and they look at Job in the distance. Now they already know he lost his kids, his property, and all of his servants. So they know of that suffering. When they see Job physically, the Scriptures tell us they can't even recognize him. But what do they do? They go and the three of them go sit in the ashes with Job. And they don't say a word. All they do is stay with him for an entire week. And we talked last week, that's actually the most proper posture to suffer with people. Close your mouth and be with them. And only open it when God gives you something. The ministry of presence. To be with them. Okay? Alright, so here we are with Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, the three friends, sitting with Job. And that's where we begin today. Because we saw just briefly from last week, Job's first lament after a whole week of his friends sitting there and evidently in silence, suffering with Job. Suffering over his suffering. Job finally speaks. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to give you a few snippets to give you the, the, uh, an understanding of what he was saying and his posture. Job cried out to God, Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? For now I would have been laying still and quiet. I would have been asleep and at rest. Why is light given to him who is in this journey and life to a bitter soul who long for death, but it does not come and search for it more than hidden treasures? I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest for trouble comes. One of the things we talked about last week is you can see this, and I didn't even read a number of the statements. Job is in a posture. He's having some suicidal thoughts. Death would be better than life is a suicidal thought. Okay? His suffering is that immense. But who's he crying out to? God. Even in that state, he is hanging on for dear life. And this is something, in fact, I asked the question about Job's lament that we read, that first lament. I said, is he speaking good words, truth, things that are wholesome, things that are right? And the answer all of us would give is absolutely not. Job's words are wrong to desire death over life. You see? But that's not relevant. It's who he's talking to that is relevant. Even though he was in error in his words, who was he clinging on to? Who was he hoping so desperately might show up even in a moment and heal him of all these things? He never let go of God. As we're on this journey in this wilderness... And we go through the sufferings, not might go through. We, will, we do go through the sufferings of this life and some of them excruciating. The key is not having the right words in the first and foremost parts of our pain and depths of our pain. It's not about having the right words saying to God. As we mature, those come. As God reveals Himself, He changes our words. What is the important thing? 
That you're talking to him. Setting our whole being towards him and him alone in the midst of suffering. You can mouth the most awful words. Every one of us, I don't care whether you mouth them or thought them in your brains. When we are suffering, we have things go through our minds that we want to say to God that are so erroneous, but they're true to us in the moment. Why? Because we're what? We're hurting. We're suffering. And so just like Job unleashes those words to God, it is Job's way, even in the midst of his error, of holding on to God to the last. And like Michael Card said in that book, Job doesn't leave the dance floor with God until the music stops. And that is what true lament is. Bringing to God our honest self again. Why? Because in the midst of that, God has His perfect ways to show up when we can really receive Him. And only when our hearts are ready to receive Him. He knows it, and He reveals Himself in such a way, and He corrects these thoughts, and He redeems us, and He strengthens us, graces us, and even heals us in so many of the occasions. My friends, why do you think in the beginning of Mass... Every liturgy. Listen to the words of the first prayer. We should always be going to God with what? Look at this right here. I told you one of the themes in the book of Job. Authentic relationship with God. We are all desiring, or all should be desiring, authentic and real relationship with God. That is, He shows Himself to us. But in order to have authentic relationship with God, that means we show ourselves to Him right where we are. It's not authentic if not. It's not real if not. To be the pretend Christian, to pretend I can't talk like this to God, or I can't be like this before my God, denies your present reality. Doesn't it? It's not authentic. Now, it's not to say that we don't say prayers that the church has given us to redirect our souls. But what I'm saying is it's okay to be right where we are. At the beginning of every liturgy, listen to what you're reminded of in prayer. First prayer, out of the priest's mouth when he gets to the altar. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are what? Open. All desires? Known. And from whom no what? Secrets are hid. Why are you playing a game with God? The truth is right there before us as we first come closer to the altar. He knows where you are, so stop it. Be who you are and let Him bring you to where He is. Because the second part of that prayer is the right one. You know me where I am. You see me for who I am right this second. So we pray, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. By what? The inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Spirit, That we may worthily, that we may perfectly love thee and magnify your name. Sometimes the simplest of prayers we do all the time, we don't think about what we're saying. And it's calling us, the first prayer of the church in Mass calls us to authentic relationship gathering with God. Right there. Just as Job is being. I met with someone last week. A couple weeks ago, they visited on a, on a mass, wanted to get together. 
and I met with this uh, gentleman. And in our first meeting, you know, he shared, and it was very aware that he was kind of going through a crisis of faith. Of faith. He'd gone, you know, he'd been in orthodoxy for a while, kind of left for a while, had a lot of things happen. And, and like many of us, we get to a crisis of faith where either this becomes much more true or we bolt, you know. Uh, all of us get to that in, in, a, in a lot of ways. And so we had a wonderful visit after uh, Mass that day, and then uh, we met for coffee uh, just this last week. And I, and, I, and I found out that ever since that time where he talked to me about his crisis of faith, he just had an extraordinarily lo- painful loss in his life. Okay? All of this happening at the same time. And I asked him a question. As he kept talking about things. So let me ask you a question. How do you see God right now? Talk to me about just how you see God. And he started talking about how he felt like he was a disappointment to God. That he had disappointed God. That he had... And he went on and on sharing, sharing just kind of some of his thoughts of his own failure. I said, you didn't hear the question. I didn't say, how do you see yourself? I said, how do you see God right now? And you know what he said? God's disappointed me. God has disappointed me. me. I'm very disappointed. I feel let down. I feel robbed. I feel, and he kept going on and on. And I said, uh, let me encourage you. And this was longer in the conversation. I said, let me encourage you. I want you to go from here. And I don't care how loudly you have to voice it. I want you to voice all of those things. Yell if you need to to God. You go tell Him how much He's disappointed you. You go tell Him how much you feel like right now in this moment you've been robbed and you don't have the things that your heart desires because of this and all of this. I said, go yell at Him. He can handle it. That wasn't wrong advice. What was it? Why did I give it? Well, because of this. I am still on my journey as all, as all of us are. I'm still on my journey of knowing God more, but I know God enough to know that He can handle the crud in our minds. He can handle our wrongful thoughts about Him, just like with Job, and He will show up. But the key is, go to Him. Go to Him. Okay? And that's for all of you. And I got a report back later that week. No, life's not perfect yet. But life's moving in the right direction. When we go to God, we go to our healer. If we need healing, then act like you need healing. Don't pretend and let God be the healer in those things. So now we come to the longest part of the book of Job. Let me stop for a second. There's something else there. Why don't we? Why are we afraid to go to God and speak honestly from the heart? Why? Thoughts? Yeah, Will? If everything is dependent on Him, when we go honestly and earnestly, and it doesn't fulfill what we want, there is nothing left. Mm. Afraid of the last ditch effort? Yeah. 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 Mm. 
Mm. We don't want to hear what you At least in the second we wanted to, right? That's one of our fears, but also ultimately. Yeah. Wait, wait, hang on. What, what's that? The angry. So sometimes we don't even go to him because we're too mad to go to him. Okay? Yes? We're so self centered. We still think that we can take care of this, that we really don't need God to help us. That can be part of it. Good. What else? We just don't want to hear what he has to say. That could be very true. Wow, God bless you for saying that. That's the... All right, all y'all are wrong. He's right. You win the prize. Uh, ding, ding. We didn't want to hear him say that. Yeah. <laughs> and all of this, all of this, um, I'll sum it up, even though it's not a perfect summation. Um, but I will tell you this from my own life, and it really has to do with everything that... I've heard these reasons that are all the reasons we all have from time to time. I've used them, all of them, myself. Okay? Because we don't know Him. We think we know so much. I'll tell you one nobody said. If I talk like that to God, He's going to punish me for it. Don't lie. That's a thought in people's minds. If I talk that brazenly to God and I blame Him for things in my life, He's going to strike me down with lightning. We don't know God. That's your parents. Yeah, that's the parents. That's, the, that's what the parents put in. Is God bless you? That's right. Okay. So, come to God. Job's friends. Uh, Job's interaction with his friends and God all at one time. You're going to see this incredible dance, which literally is 90% of the book of Job. Okay? The prologue is very short that I explained to you. Then there's this huge portion where Job is going to give his lament, Eliphaz is first up to the plate, and, and he is going to uh, he's going to correct Job's lament, being the godly man that he is, and try to steer Job in the right direction. That's what his friends are going to do. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Eliphaz's response to Job's lament. But first again, remember what Job's lament was. In his lament... Not only this cry of all of his suffering, but crying out, death would be better for me. Death would be better for me. Okay? Let's hear, I'm going to read to you some sections, because these things go for chapters sometimes. We will not do that. And I know you love me for that, so that's good. Let me, here's what Eliphaz responds to Job's lament. Now remember, they were sitting quietly with Job for a whole week suffering with him. The only reason Eliphaz is talking is because Job started it. Job let out the lament. Okay. Eliphaz says, If one attempts a word with you, Job, will you become weary? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Surely you have instructed many. And you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now it comes upon you, and you are weary. It touches you, and you are anxious. In other words, Job, you've helped many along the way in their troubled times. Physician what? Heal thyself. Right? Okay. But then he continues. Remember, Job, now... Whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. 
But as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable and marvelous things without number? Behold, Job, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty, for He bruises, but He binds up. He wounds, but His hands make whole. So summarizing that section, here's the gist. In short, Job, you must have sinned. You must have sinned. So the formula lends itself to the following answer. Job, you must turn back to God and repent. Also, Job, you're saying death is better than your suffering. You're wrong in your thinking. Instead, Job, happy is the man whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline you are now under. It is a good thing. Now let me ask you a question. Everything that Eliphaz says in what he said, is it true about God? Every last sentence, word, is dripping with truth about God. The problem is Eliphaz is applying a right formula to a wrong problem. Christians, be careful not to do that with the suffering. That's why I say better to sit and be present than to speak all the time. We don't know what's going on in their soul and we don't know what's going on in the mind of God. Who seeks to redeem them? But he speaks this. He speaks this. You see, the problem is, we're going to find all of Job's friends are stuck in the in the in the childhood of their faith. Not childhood, not being negative, just where they are in the childhood of their faith, where they understand just the simple formula: if we obey God, what blesses. If we disobey God, punishes, disciplines, corrects. But he chastens out of love. So happy is the man, Eliphaz is saying, that is being chastened by God. It's like you said in your sermon this morning about uh, that when we hang on to a debt, to a trespass, we are imprisoned, yet when Christ forgives us, we are, we are loose and we are free. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly right. I remember every sermon since I was 12 years old, so you'll always be responsible for what you say. Always got to watch out. My goodness, great. Absolutely. That's right. Here's what I want you to notice before we go on and see Job's response. God is going to use... By the way, let's acknowledge something. Eliphaz, Job's friend, sat with him for a whole week. How many of you, how many of us would do that with our friends? Does Eliphaz love Job? Please. Does Eliphaz love God? Yes. Let's not knock these friends too hard. Let's just see how God's going to use them. So Eliphaz and the rest of Job's friends, they're going to be wrong constantly (laughs) pertaining to Job's particular situation. Because had Job sinned? No. Did Job, was was Job in need of the chastisement of God for his good? None of those things were true. 
what the words that come towards Job from his well-meaning, loving friends, they're going to continue to keep Job lamenting through the process. God is going to use the wrong of his friends. Well-meaning, but God's going to use the wrong of his friends to keep Job in the game. We're going to see this, yes? This might be a little bit off, but you know, I mean, in, in the final end, you know, Job finally sees God. Uh-huh. He sees God. Mm-hmm. So was maybe Job not even stuck back in a little bit of Torah? Oh, no, as we said in the beginning, I'm, I'm, no, I'm glad you said that. Job is probably a little bit ahead of them, but he's not here. No, he's not there yet. Right. Because he'll say himself, my ears had heard of you. So where is he? He's somewhere, he's in the wilderness. Right? He's on the journey. Okay? He's not there. Absolutely. That's why we will see God's perfect orchestration, you see, of Job and revelation to him. Okay? So absolutely. But I want you to know that that's why the biggest part of the book of Job is all this dance around his friends. Job's response and continued lament and Job's friends stepping in and back and forth and back and forth. God is using them to keep him in the game. Even though Job wants to be in the game, our humanity will falter. Okay, And we'll see that time and time again. Okay, Now let's listen to Job's response. Not only to Eliphaz, it's a mixture of speaking back to Eliphaz and crying out to God. And I'm only going to give you snippets, and it begins in Job chapter 6. Job says, Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant me the thing that I long for, that it would please God to crush me, that He would loose His hand and cut me off. Teach me, I want you to hear this, teach me, he's talking to God, and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. I'm going to stop there for a second. That first part where he's saying, crush me, Lord, God is not going to agree to that. It's not God's will. But that second part of his prayer, teach me and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. That is precisely the prayer that God intends to answer. How do we know this? Because once God shows up and reveals Himself by all the questioning that He would do to Job, what does Job do? He places His hand over His mouth. Teach me and I'll hold my tongue. See? Cause me to understand where I've erred. Job continues, Like a servant who earnestly desires the shade and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages, so have I been allotted months of futility and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, When shall I rise and the night be ended? For I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. Anybody been there? In your suffering? In your anxiousness? where we don't sleep well, we don't get rest, we're tossing and turning, when will this horrid night end and the day break and I can get on with things? Okay, Job's there. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. There's an honest lament. Job is setting himself before God. God, I'm going to tell you where I am. I'm going to give you everything I am and I'm going to hold nothing back. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Now we come to another great aspect of something we just need to see in all of our lament. 
Okay? And I call it the deep questioning that comes from the soul. When we're in suffering, questions arise. And they're important questions for us to put before God. I call it the what, why, how long questions. You're going to see this in Job's life. You're going to see it in David's life. You're going to see it in the lives of the prophets. When we take a look at some of them, what's going on? How long, O Lord? All these kinds of statements. So listen to Job. What is man that you should exalt him? That you should set your heart on him? That you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? How long will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target, so that I am a burden even to myself? Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? Now, we may not have said all of those questions at once, but we've said all those questions in the midst of our suffering, haven't we? And remember, Job lived around or a little after the time of the great patriarchs, Abraham. So there's nothing new under the sun. But this is his lament. So even when we throw ourselves so openly with such wrong words, bad attitudes out of all of our suffering, we throw it towards God, He's got a way to correct the same thing with the questions. Some of the questions even that Job just asked that you heard read, they're actually not right questions. Quite frankly, they're not even relevant questions. But they're the questions that are bubbling up out of his soul in suffering. And God has the same way of changing our questions to the most important ones. And don't forget this. How will God reveal himself to Job? By asking the right questions. God has a way of taking wherever we are. Meeting us right where we are authentically. And revealing himself. That is what lament is all about. Job, a perfectly righteous man. You don't think he has questions? Why is all this happening? I've done righteous in your eyes. I've sacrificed, not only sacrifices for my sins, but I've sac- I sacrificed for my ten children that you just happened to take away from me. Why? There's nothing wrong with those questions. The right ones God answers, the wrong ones God changes. But God comes if we hang on and persevere and stay in. Now, here's the beauty from a Christian perspective. While we, being in the Orthodox Church, while we are going through incredible suffering, we are blessed to have the right prayers. We see them in the hours of prayer. We see them in in the Vespers and the Matins. And we see them in the liturgy. So while we're struggling with all of our suffering and all of our wrongness, so to speak, that comes out of that suffering, we have the blessed spiritual balance of prayers filled with the Holy Spirit to help redirect us every day where God comes to us. But we still do need to present ourselves in an authentic way and let God authentically be God with us in the midst of suffering in that kind of Christian lament. Let's stand.